Let's turn in our Bibles together to Genesis chapter 20. You will also find today's passage in your worship guide, but I do want to uh, have you turn with me because I want to begin just with a look at one verse in chapter 19 just to give us some context in case you've not been with us uh, in recent weeks. If you have been with us recently, you know that uh, Pastor John has recently led us through a very lengthy chapter, chapter 19, very grim, disturbing passage, as he indicated last week. Uh, but he also reminded us that we see in this very uh, desperate situation, chapter 19, we see evidence of God's grace. It's shocking for us, as John indicated, to believe that Lot was a believer. And yet that's what the scripture tells us. He, he finished poorly, undoubtedly, but scripture tells us he is a believer. And, and picking up on what John said, when you think about what God did to rescue Lot, seeing those angels, we could talk about how God intervened. And that leads us to today's theme. It was an intervention of grace on God's part on behalf of Lot. Lot, again, finished poorly, struggled mightily with sin, and yet he was the Lord's. And the Lord intervened graciously to rescue Lot. And so um, we're going to pick up now with where we'll see Abraham last. You know, last week we, we finished up what happened to Lot and his family. We have to remind ourselves that Lot was rescued in part through Abraham. God's goal was to rescue Lot and show grace to him, but he used means. He used the prayer of Abraham. Abraham interceded on behalf of the righteous and God extended grace. We're going to see that happening again today. We're going to be scandalized again by behavior, by God's people. We're going to see God intervenes yet again graciously. And so as we think about today, uh, reminding us that God intervenes graciously, here's where we're going. God intervenes to keep us from sinning. But before that, God intervenes to call us out of sin. And hopefully we'll be encouraged by the fact that God still intervenes. Even when we do sin, and he uses us, broken and flawed as we are. So today we're looking at intervention of grace, and we're picking up where we saw Abraham last. This is in chapter uh, 19, uh, verse, uh, look at 27, and then we will affirm what Scripture says about God's word and pray. So it says here in uh, Genesis 19, and Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which God had, excuse me, in which Lot had lived. So, as we're told in Scripture, the grass withers, the flowers fade,
But the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer and ask him to bless his word to us. Father, we come before you this morning grateful that we have someone who stands before your throne. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Lord, he's our only hope. We are like Lot. Lord, we have no claim on you. We have nothing to offer you in terms of our own behavior to cause you to look towards us in grace. But we're grateful you have extended grace. Lord, we're grateful you continue to do that. And Father, we're thankful you especially do that even when we stumble, stumble badly. As Pastor D reminded us in his prayer earlier, from your word, Lord, we stumble in many ways. And so, Lord, I imagine this morning there are those who have stumbled even this morning or perhaps this week. Perhaps it was a, a one-time incident or perhaps it's been a besetting issue this past week. So, Lord, for those who are weary, overwhelmed by the struggle, Father, I pray you'd remind them again that they belong to you and you have rescued them and that someone intercedes for them. Lord, so even now we ask that your Son and the Holy Spirit would continue to intercede for us as we come to your word, Lord, in need. Father, I come to your word in need. Lord, I am a sinful man. I'm a weak man, and I need your Spirit to help me in my weakness. Father, we need your Spirit to... uh, Renew our hearts. Renew our minds. Help us to listen well. Help us to understand. Help me to explain your word well. And Lord, through it all, help us to see Christ. To cherish him. To cherish the fact you've intervened. And so Lord, I pray if someone has yet to come to know him today, Lord, you would call them out. You would rescue them from the overthrow that is to come. So Lord, we look to you expectantly. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Saul, we left off with Abraham. And that's followed by this disastrous situation with Lot and his daughters. We're not told explicitly in chapter 19 that Abraham knew that Lot was okay. So we don't know exactly what all was going through his mind at this point. But we're going to pick up in verse 1, we see that He's now in transit from that spot where he overlooked that area. So it says uh, in verse 1 of chapter 20, From there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, would you kill an innocent people? Did he, him, did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. Of your heart and, I know, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. 
so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So I want to see first in this initial section that God intervenes to keep his people from sin. One of my heroes in church history is Martin Luther. One of the things I, I like about Luther so well is he, he was gifted with the ability to turn a phrase. The way he discussed the gospel and, and Christ is just memorable. And he was always very bold and forceful in, in what he said. And in commenting on this passage, Luther on this occasion shows uncharacteristic restraint. But he raises the question that is probably in most of your minds, certainly in my children's minds as we talked about this past week. Here it is. Luther says, Here the question arises, how is it likely that Sarah was seized because of her beauty since she was evidently 75 years old? Here it is. As a rule, physical beauty is not praised at that age. And so that's what my kids ask. You've asked, you know, what's going on here? How, how is Sarah almost 90 and Abimelech takes her to be his? As I think about this, you know, we're familiar with people and all around us who certainly look older than they appear. Before I was a believer, uh, some of my heroes were the Rolling Stones. And for some time now, they've looked about 20 years older than they actually are. Now, you can say they did that to themselves, that their lives have caught up to them. But since I've become a believer, one of my um, heroes now is Rebecca's father. And for some time now, uh, he has looked 20 years younger than what he actually is. Now, to be fair, when Rebecca and I went to Europe with her parents, he was never abducted by a queen that wanted to make him uh, her husband. But all the same people in some cases, do age slower. We could say that Sarah has aged well. Now certainly here uh, the Lord intervenes to deliver, to rescue Sarah. That's, that's very clear. I would suggest to us also that God intervenes to deliver Abimelech. Now keep in mind, Earlier in the series, we saw back in chapter 14, Abraham meets this Gentile king out of nowhere, Melchizedek. He's a Canaanite. And we learn not only does he know the one true God, but he's a priest of the one true God, pronounces a blessing on Abraham. So Abraham's already encountered a believing king. Now, not everybody believes that uh, Abimelech knows the Lord in the, the true ultimate sense, but I'm not going to die on that hill, but I think there are some things here that would point to that. He, uh, in his prayer, for example, he uh, prays in uh, verse 4, Will you kill an innocent people? The New King James has that more literally. Will you kill a righteous people? Uh, but beyond that, uh, Abraham tells him later, we're going to see, the reason I did this is because I thought there's no fear of God here. They'd kill me because there's no fear of God. And we'll see later that actually Abimelech does act 
as if he does fear God. He's certainly concerned to not commit adultery. That's interesting because he, like Joseph in the book of Genesis, they both want to avoid adultery. They both are said to fear God. But what strikes me especially, what encourages me about Abimelech, that gives me hope, is what he says, what the Lord affirms in verse 5. Let's look back there again. In explaining his rationale to God, he says, In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. In verse 6, the Lord says, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. The word integrity there, that's, that's a form of the word used in chapter 17 when the Lord tells Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. That's what he's saying here. I, I've been blameless about this. And my heart shows that. The Lord never denies that. But what especially gives me encouragement about his heart is the, the backdrop about the human heart in Genesis. You remember in chapter 6, right before the flood comes, the Lord looks out at humanity and says that the human heart was only evil all the time. And after the flood comes and that generation is wiped away, the Lord says the human heart is evil from childhood. That, that heart condition remains. And so at least in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that's the heart condition we're born with. What's going on inside of Abimelech that he would want to avoid committing adultery? That God would single him out as the only person in Genesis that has a positive assessment about his heart. Now, whether or not we know that he's a believer, it does point us to what we see later about a believer that gives us hope. Later in 1 Samuel 25, you remember a man named Nabal had denied David and his men food. David and his men were on the run from Saul. They were protecting Nabal's flock and his shepherds from antagonists. All they wanted was a meal. And so David's incensed when he hears that Nabal denies him and David says, all right, guys, let's go. We're taking him out. You remember uh, Nabal's wife, Abigail, comes and pleads on the family's behalf, on behalf of the servants. And she's a believer, and as David hears this, he says, the Lord sent you to keep me from doing this. Twice he affirms her in that. David himself prays and Psalm 19, keep back your servant. Keep me from presuming. Keep me from presumptuous sins. Now, that doesn't mean that God always intervenes to keep people from sinning. Certainly, he didn't do that for David. He doesn't do that for Abraham. So we don't just kick back and, and assume God's going to intervene every single time. But on this occasion, and, and David... It should make us as believers long for the fullness of what D led us through this morning and our call to worship and our declaration of faith. These promises that God made to the prophets that one day God would intervene 
and change people from the inside. That he would go to the root issue and give a new heart. God has to do that first. He has to first begin in the heart. That's the, that's the beginning point to keep us from sinning. So we read those, those passages and we see what takes place in Abimelech's life and David's life. And that gives us hope that God will intervene to keep his people from sinning. If you grew up like I did, you're a fan of, of Batman. You might remember as a young boy, Bruce Wayne was coming home from the opera with his parents. And as they were going through a dark alleyway, his parents right in front of him are gunned down by a robber. It's a very young boy. And that haunted him in going forward. It really led his desire to want to see justice be brought about. Several years ago, there was a film series made about Batman, and it wasn't like the, the TV show from the 60s that you perhaps remember. It was sort of, you know, back then corny. This is much more of a serious look at what it might be like in the real world. And, and so as the young Bruce Wayne, now as an adult, grapples with what took place in his parents' life, the man who killed his parents is coming to trial for parole. And so Bruce Wayne slips into the courtroom with a long trench coat, and he's got a loaded pistol. And he's waiting for that moment. Depending on what the verdict is, he's going to take it into his own hands. And so after the trial, he's in the hallway there of the courthouse, and he's got his finger on the trigger, and he's walking down the hallway ready to take this man's life. But before he could do it, someone else does it for him uh, from the local mafia. And he's reminded by a friend, you were, you were spared. You could have wrecked your life. And we might look at that, and perhaps others look at that, and say, man, he really lucked out. We can look at events around us. That person almost made a decision that was disastrous for themselves and for others. Now bring that up to say that for us as believers, let's not look at that as just luck. Let's look at that at what God's doing here in Abimelech's life, in David's life. God is intervening. I went through this passage a few months ago with one of my men's groups when we were talking about this and the idea of God having intervened in our lives in the past. Most of the guys in our group, we led, we made some terrible decisions in, in the past and we've been very open about that. And, and we don't often think about how God does this, but as we considered this passage, you could see the wheels turning and, and some guys were saying, yeah, I can't remember when I wanted to do that and, and this happened and I was unable to do that. Think back in your life. Perhaps you're about to fire off that text or that email or perhaps you're about to go to that website. Perhaps you're about to say something to your spouse or child. Perhaps your mind was drifting towards a lustful thought or a vengeful thought, and something happened, whether you know, your pet came to the room or the phone rang, came to a red light, whatever. Look back in those situations. Think about those weren't interruptions. Those were interventions. God intervenes in our life to keep us from sin. But to take this step even back to the beginning, I want to see now that God 
first intervenes to bring his people out of sin to begin with. Let's look in verse 8. It says, So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought, There's no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. So, Abimelech arises early in obedience to what the Lord has called him to do. Abraham said, there's surely no fear of God here. But yet, Abimelech acts as if he does fear God. He wants to make this right. He doesn't want to be held guilty before God. He wants to be uh, at peace with Abraham and and do the right thing in, in restoring Abraham and Sarah. So he wants to know. Why, why would you do this? Why would you even think like this? Well, Abraham says, yeah, there's no fear of God here. And yet we've just come off several passages prior to this where Abraham shines. He's maturing in the faith. And he, as he explains the struggle, his thought process here, he takes Abimelech, he takes us back to the beginning. In verse 13, he says, When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is what you're to say. And, of course, we see that in chapter 12. They leave Ur, and not long after that, she says this while they're in Egypt. Notice what Abraham says in verse 13, the way he describes God's behavior towards him. God caused me to wonder from my father's house. Now certainly in Genesis 12, the Lord says to Abraham, leave your father's house and go to this land. And Abraham obeys. And yet Abraham is told this amazing new information in chapter 15. Remember chapter 15 is when the Lord has the covenant. When those animals are cut in half. And he makes those promises in a, in a covenant And before that takes place, he says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur to give you this land. That sounds a lot like the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. A lot of people see there's a lot of parallels there. Now, obviously, Abraham's descendants were brought up out of slavery. We're not aware of anything like that in Ur that Abraham and Sarah experienced. But Joshua helps us understand just how radically God intervened to call Abraham out. Before Joshua dies, he tells the people, a long time ago, our forefathers, our ancestors, they served gods. 
beyond the river. And God took Abraham. And he says, you yourself, Israelites, you serve the gods of Egypt. So their ancestors had served gods in Ur. The Israelites had served the gods of the Egyptians in Egypt. And I would suggest that's the exodus for Abraham. In both cases, they are brought out of slavery. In the case of Israel, certainly physical, but they're both brought out of idolatry. They're called out. Now here, Abraham seems to embrace that concept, although he comes off a lot like Adam after the fall. Well, the woman you put here with me, the woman you gave me, yes, she gave me this. And Abraham is like us. We, we know truth. And then how we respond to that truth, how we live in light of that. He's almost whining. That, you know, God's sort of leaving me in the middle of nowhere. God just has me, has me wandering here. Now, we'll see later in the series, towards the end of his life, Abraham cherishes this concept that God is the one who worked behind the scenes to call him out. And that's what we have to cherish, too. As we struggle like Abraham, as we struggle with sin, we have to remind ourselves God began a good work in us. God intervened to call us out. For some, it's a radical experience. On Friday, um, I had the the blessing of serving as a reference for a good friend of mine uh, who's pursuing a ministry uh, situation in Charleston. And, uh, and, and sharing my, my knowledge of my friend, and we talked about uh, the life that he and I had led together. My friend, for a couple of years, was heavily involved in cocaine. And, and looked like he was not going to be able to live. And God called him out of that. It was a radical exodus out of sin. Some of you can relate to that. And yet, yet now here he is, the threshold of serving in a tremendous ministry opportunity. Perhaps some of you came to faith at a young age, like some of the kids that, that Pastor John is meeting with on Sundays for the communicants class. God's began that good work. If he's called you out, kids, he's committed to that. He's going to intervene. You can't always assume he's going to intervene and, and prevent you from sinning. But sometimes he will. We have to come back to passages like this, regardless of our age, and remind ourselves, God started this. He intervened to call me out of sin. I'm encouraged by his commitment that he even intervenes to keep us from sinning. One of our, our kids, we talked about this as a family this past week, uh, a few months ago, Supposed to be in bed, and, and uh, became quickly known to Re- Rebecca and me that uh, one of our children was not in bed pursuing something that was not inherently bad, but they weren't supposed to be doing at that time of the day. We talked about that, and that the Lord uh, circumstantially brought that to our attention. Now, as we intervened to shut that down, uh, our child was frustrated, but we wanted to, to focus on the fact: take this as an encouragement. God loves you. He doesn't want you to fall into this. He doesn't want you to make this an idol. We've got to come back to that, that God intervened to call us out of sin. He's going to intervene continually, not just to keep us from sinning, 
but to even use us when we do. So let's look at the last part of the passage. Uh, Verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So we've seen how God intervenes to keep people from sinning, how he intervenes even before that to call people out of sin. And he intervenes even when we do sin. Now, Abraham is not explicitly uh, chastised by the Lord, uh, but as uh, one of our members once pointed out uh, a few weeks ago in a small group situation, when people aren't explicitly chastised, the Lord gives us uh, from the text things to help us put it together. And so while he's not explicitly chastised by the Lord, notice again what Abimelech said to him in verse 10, or excuse me, Um, verse 9. What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done things that ought not to have been done. Certainly the Lord uses people in our lives that speak in step with Scripture. Here Abraham, 30 so years after Genesis 12 is demonstrating behavior that he showed a long time ago. A couple of years ago when uh, Nathan McVeigh was at UGA, he was taking a religion class and they were going through uh, the, the Old Testament. And, and passages like this and that passage in Genesis 12 were sometimes said, hey, here's how we know the Bible was cobbled together by a bunch of bumbling editors. They've taken this legend about Abraham lying to protect himself, and they've taken different forms of that and put it in here. And it comes up in Isaac's life as well. And so Nathan and I I talked about that, and and our kids talked about that this past week. When we read this as a family, before we even got into that issue, Joshua said, here we go again. I would suggest that's what's going on. It's not that we have a bumbling editor cobbling it together. It's reminding us as God's people, we are prone to fall back in to sinful behavior. We are prone to wonder, as the hymn writer says. Prone to fall into things that we thought we were long rid of. That were no longer a struggle. Of course, none of us Celebrate that Abraham has demonstrated this behavior again. As John, I would apply what John said last week about the situation with Lot and his daughters. If we were making this up, if we were cobbling this together to win people over, we would never put the passage about Lot and his daughters. We would never put two examples of Abraham blowing it like this. 
we're grateful that God in his wisdom has included passages about the saints who are like us. As Dee and as James tells us, we stumble in many ways. Abraham believes, yeah, he's like uh, the young girl's daughter in the Gospels. Yeah, he, he struggles to believe God's really going to protect him. And, and during this moment, he's, he's all about Abraham. Okay, yeah, it'll all work out, I guess, with Sarah, but I've got to protect me. Now, it says volumes about Sarah that she's willing to go along with this. She obviously loves him, and, and he does love her. He doesn't reflect that here, though. This is humiliating to be called out like this. It's humiliating to fall back into this. But God's committed to Abraham. He's begun a good work. He's called Abraham out from Ur. He's called him from idolatry. He's committed. He's intervening here. God could certainly open up the wombs of those in Gerar. He, he can do that. He spoke the universe into existence. But notice, while he could do that independently of Abraham, he calls Abraham to be part of the process. Abraham wronged the people by putting them in the crosshairs of God's justice. God's not done with Abraham. Abraham has a role to play. Reminds us, just like with Lot, our salvation is not based on us. Of course, God is concerned. He called Abraham to be blameless and to follow him. And I do think he's rebuked by Abimelech here. But at the end of the day, this is all about, we know a gracious God. Going back to Martin Luther, that was his burden. How can I know, how can I find a gracious God? It's passages like this that remind us he can be found. He can be known. And so, brothers and sisters, if you've blown it badly this morning or this past week, if you're a child of the king, the Lord's not done with you. Think about this too as his providence to bring you into this passage today, bring me into this, to remind us he's still at work. This brings him glory to use broken and deeply flawed people like Abraham, like us, to advance his plan. It reminds us we need someone to pray for us. We need passages like this to remind us God's not done with us. We need to be reminded of the need for people to pray for us. And the Lord gives us that again and again, particularly in Romans 8. I believe Romans 7 talks about Paul struggling with sin and his own personal struggles. And he goes into chapter 8 and he talks about Jesus intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And because of that commitment, nothing in this world, nothing, Paul says, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Brothers and sisters, that's exactly what we have in Jesus. We have 
a prophet who prays for us. Unlike Abraham, Jesus is sinless. It reminds us his prayers are heard on his merit, not ours. The Lord, the Father, delights to grant the prayers of his Son. Right? Hebrews says, Jesus prays for us to the very end, to the uttermost, as we seek to persevere. So today, perhaps you're struggling and you're racked with guilt. No, as Paul tells us, God gave Christ for us. He has covered our sins. Abimelech lavished Abraham and Sarah this amazing gift, trying to make things right. God has lavished us with something that has satisfied the situation as well, and that is Jesus. And so today, if you're not sure about where you stand with the Lord, perhaps the Lord's calling you out. Perhaps today is your exodus. He's calling you out of slavery to sin. And if that's the case, he's made provision to cover every sin, no matter how heinous, no matter how repetitive. Brothers and sisters, if we're believers, that still is good news for us as well. We need to know regularly, no matter how heinous, no matter how repetitive the sin, no matter how embarrassing and how it's involved others, God's made satisfaction. This is good news. God has called us out. He's intervened to call us out of sin. He intervenes to keep us from sinning. And even when we do sin, He intervenes. And He intervenes and He uses us. That's very good news. Let's go now to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're grateful that You are a gracious God. We know that You are at the same time a holy God. Or... And on that basis alone, we would have no hope because we are deeply sinful. We have no claim on you. And Lord, we are so thankful that your word reminds us you intervene for people like Lot. You intervene for people like us. And you still use us when we stumble like Abraham. You still keep our relationships intact even when we jeopardize those relationships like Abraham and Sarah. Father, thank you that you intervened. Lord, we pray with David, keep us from presumptuous sins. Let, us not, let them not have dominion over us. We know, Lord, that you do that. We're thankful. Help us to recognize when you do stop us. Lord, we want you to stop us. Your Holy Spirit inside of us moves us to pray that because in our flesh, we don't want to pray that. But Lord, we want you to Stop us. And so we think about those who might be here who are really wrestling right now with certain besetting sins. We pray that today, Lord, you will intervene uh, dramatically, if necessary, to bring about, Lord, a real breakthrough or keep us close to you. We want to be used. And Father, for those who have stumbled badly, Lord, encourage them in their own lives with circumstances, Lord. Show them that you're still at work to use them for the good of others and your glory. Father, for those who don't know you, we pray that today they'll see their need to come to you and find grace 
and mercy and hope. So, Father, use us, we pray. Encourage us, strengthen us by the gospel, all for your glory. We pray all this in the sake, for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.